Excellent. Well, hey, thanks for being here tonight. And uh, let me tell you kind of how we ended up here tonight and what our goal is for the night. So uh, we had been discussing doing Financial Peace University as a church, uh, which many of us have probably heard of or been through at some point in our lives. And then through COVID, uh, the Ramsey organization kind of changed the way they did everything. So how it happens now is we you know, purchase a, a site license as a church, and then we can distribute it for free to anyone in the church who would want it. Uh, and then uh, we can kind of like see um, you know, if people are engaging and, and all of that kind of stuff. We can't see any like private information. We can see if like somebody signed up for it uh, and see if it's like actually working. And we really believe in this stuff. And so we want it to work well. So we decided instead of just emailing it out a couple of times, why don't we take a night uh, and then we're going to, you know, record this tonight and then we'll email it out to the church again. And really, we want to make this a part of the DNA of our church, uh, a part of the DNA of our church of having a proper understanding of what does the Bible say about money. And so tonight, a little bit, um, I told you in the, in the video, like this is going to be just a very honest, open, raw conversation about money. Uh, and, you know, we took it off of a Sunday and, and doing it on a Tuesday night. And, and part of that is like you opted into this, okay? Uh, so you asked for it by showing up tonight. And so I'm just going to share with you what the Bible says about money. I have like 50 verses, okay? Um, so if you, um, if you didn't bring a notebook or something and, and you want to just, you know, use your phone, um, I will trust that you're taking notes and not playing Wordle. And, um, and, and I'm just going to share with you what, what the Bible says about money. I'm going to share some stories, probably be a little bit more personal, uh, you know, than, than maybe a typical Sunday morning, um, just to, to really help all of us get our minds and our hearts. And we know when it comes to money, it is our minds, it's our hearts, and then it's our actions. It's all three of those things. Our minds can start to play tricks on us. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Like I, I, or, or, uh, or I don't know enough yet, and so I don't know what to do. Our heart uh, has a, a big um, play in this when it comes to money because our heart can get so easily attached to it. And so we'll look at that. And then in the end, it's actually about action. Like what do you actually do with the money, which in the end is, uh, comes from your mind and it comes from your heart. But then at some point in time, you actually have to swipe the card or hit the button or pay the cash or whatever it is. And so it's all of us, uh, all of us being like all of you uh, in one, uh, determining then what happens with your money, okay? So um, we'll start uh, in my little journey with money. Some of you may have heard this story before, uh, but my like money journey, at least that I remember, started when I was in sixth grade and I was at lunch one day and I sat next to the same people as you do when you're in sixth grade for lunch every day. And one kid sat down next to me and I realized that every single day he bought a can of pop, it was a Pepsi, from the, um, the pop machine. And I knew that the pop machine cost 55 cents. So I looked at him and I was like, hey, if I bring you a Pepsi, tomorrow uh, and sell it to you for 50 cents, will you buy it from me instead of the pop machine? And he was like, absolutely. So the next day I brought in a can of Pepsi. I sold it to him for 50 cents. I made a quarter because pop cost 23 cents back then if you bought in 12 packs, uh, especially when they were on sale. And, uh, and then I started and launched my Pepsi business um, from the cafeteria. And by the time I was a sophomore, I did this for like four years. We were selling about 40 cans of pop a day. Uh, we also provided
provided full service. Like if you didn't want to wait in the cafeteria line, we would go buy the food for you. Okay, that cost 50 cents. We would do the dishes for you. Uh, if it was your week to clean the tables, that cost a dollar a day, right? And then we just kept all of our records. And then on the last day of school, me and my two business partners um, would come over to my house and I would store all of the money in my bottom dresser door. It was all like $1 bills. And then we would just like dance in $1 bills. Okay, uh, and so eventually, then uh, after a few years of this, what we did, uh, or at least what I did, is I took all of that money and I bought 15 um, gumball machines in response to an ad in the paper. I was a sophomore in high school then, uh, and then after that, uh, I bought five uh, vending machines, and then I bought 30 gumball machines. Uh, and, and by that time, I think I was like a senior in high school, so I had like 45 gumball machines and like five vending machines. And then I went off to college, so I had to sell them, and that'll be a story for another day. On how that whole sale went through. Um, but it was the last day, I'll give you the quick version. It was the last day before college. I'd been trying to sell my vending empire for the entire summer. And I was freaking out because I was about to leave for school. And then all of a sudden, some random guy calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I hear you have a vending machine, you know, system or whatever. Uh, he says, I want to look at it. And so we drove around town. And then on the spot, he pulled out a check and paid for all of it, like 12 hours before I was ready to leave for school. And in, in like, after like an hour of meeting him. And that was actually one of those moments in my life um, where I think God was teaching me at an early age, like, hey, if you just obey and you just follow me and you, I'll, I'll take care of you. And that was actually something, you know, that was like 18 uh, when I left for school. And that was a lesson that has stuck with me to this day. And then as I got older, I went off to school um, I've shared this with you guys before. I wanted to, uh, I didn't want, I did. I majored in international business and poli sci because I wanted to make a whole bunch of money and then, and then run for office. That was the goal. Last thing I wanted to do when I left for college was to go into ministry, right? Because I always thought that's for somewhat talented people who don't make any money. And so I don't want to do that. That was my relationship with money at the time. Uh, and then I've shared this many times. I had... Uh, kind of saw the dangerous side of money as well. When I got into college, that was when online poker was the big rage and I dipped my toe in it and then I dove full in and that got a little bit unhealthy uh, and, and not a little bit, like very unhealthy. Uh, and then God rescued me out of that. That's kind of part of my redemption story that I've shared. And then over the last 15 years or so, um, I have just sought to um, understand the Bible and what it says about money. And a lot of that is from Dave Ramsey and listening to his stuff and his podcast. And now whenever we get in the car and I hit the Dave Ramsey podcast and his little theme music starts playing, Reagan goes, dad, please no. <laughs> okay. So um, we're training her young though. All right. She gets one more year of her frivolous spending and then we're pulling out the envelopes. Okay. Um, and, and so over these, this time that I've been trying to learn this natural, um, I think, gift that God gave me to enjoy the process of making money and recording things in sixth grade and pieces of paper and notebooks and binders and, uh, and then the, the bad side of it and trying to make way too much of it when I was 20 in a cheap way playing online poker and all of this kind of stuff then over the years has accumulated in a lot to what we're going to do today. And I would obviously credit um, some of the stuff that Ramsey has taught through the years, but most importantly, this. And so I don't know what your journey's been. I don't know if you're in a great spot right now, if you're in a bad spot right now, if you've dealt with the natural tendencies of the sinful heart when it comes to money, which are greed, fear, and envy. And we're going to talk about those tonight, right? Greed, fear, and envy, because those three have a tendency to dominate our heart when it comes to this. We're going to talk about the gospel reverse of that. 
right? Um, I don't know if it's a scary thing for you right now, um, but we're going we're gonna to dive in and hopefully hit some of your journey as well. Uh, this, uh, this evening, uh, I'll probably say this morning a lot, this evening, uh, we've got one big idea. So let me give it to you right from the beginning. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of verses and everything I say tonight to back it all up. Step one, or big idea of the night is this. God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. Let me give you a few um, verses that just back this up. And uh, like I said, I've got a bunch of them. And so what we'll do is we'll probably just post my notes somewhere. Um, for those of you who don't, uh, don't like taking notes or, or you want to revisit some of this stuff later, uh, this will be on YouTube too, so you can go back and watch it. Proverbs 10, 22, opening verse of the night. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Um, All of my verses are going to be in ESV, by the way, tonight. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So how is one made rich? By the blessing of the Lord. What's the implication there? The blessing of your talent, the blessing of your gift, the blessing of your opportunity, the blessing of the timing, the blessing of your inheritance, the blessing of your family, the blessing of your education, all of that which led into your wealth was the blessing of God makes you rich. This is in no way today going to negate hard work. We're in no way going to um, and negate very practical um, uh, actions that lead to certain things, but we're going to start with the foundation that the Bible starts one, and that is that the blessing of the Lord makes rich. Let me give you another one. Uh, these are going to go in increasing order of, um, I think, either conviction or clarity, whatever way you want to say it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. We'll hone in on that line. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. It is God who gives wealth and possessions. Why do you have it? He gave it to you. God is the one who gives wealth and possessions. And then this one I think is the most clear. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll hop all the way back here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 17. And this also then plays into the heart. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Isn't that such a normal belief when it comes to our money? It was my wealth. It was my power. It was my idea. It was my skill. It was my education. It was my hard work. It was me staying late when everyone else left. It was me who came up with the idea, all of those things. And he says, beware, lest in your heart you say that my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And then this is about as clear as it gets. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, what does that power look like in 2022? 
It does look like education. It does look like a hard work ethic. It might look like being uh, brought up in the right family. It might look like going to the right school or having the right education or coming up with the right idea or um, seeing the perfect opportunity at the right time. All of those things in 2022, those are powers to gain wealth. Where do they come from? Him. For it is he, God, who gives you power to get wealth. One of the, I think, humbling things to think about is this. Some of us with the skill sets that we have, if we lived 100 years ago, would probably be broke. But because you live now, you might make a time, right? But had you lived 100 years ago, some of us may be like, I would have killed it back then, right? And now uh, it's different. Why? Because God put you in this season right now in the family you grew up in, in the education you grew up in, in the opportunities you grew up in, and anyone who's gotten to any age can look back and see, wow, God's hand of faithfulness all the way through to get me to where I'm at. And all of that is God giving you the power, him giving it to you to get wealth. So those three verses, Proverbs 10, 22, it is a blessing of the Lord that gives rich or brings rich. Ecclesiastes 5 is him and then Deuteronomy, it is him who gives wealth. And so that leads us to our big idea, right? That God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. Now I want to pause here for a second because this allows us to stop for a second and to answer a question. Uh, and, And a lot of what we see when it comes to money and the Bible are pendulums that swing way too far either way right? This weekend, I'm going to talk about the prosperity gospel a little bit. That's a pendulum swung the other way. Some of us aren't familiar with the poverty gospel. That's the pendulum swinging the other way. And a lot of times with money, it's that. And one of the um, bad pendulum swings that we see right now, and we can see this in a lot of different places, is that money is evil, right? Money's bad. Money's evil. Okay. Why would it be that God would give people wealth if money was evil? Why would God grant people the power to obtain wealth if money was evil? Why would God say it is a blessing if you are rich to be, why would that be an evil thing, right? And and so um, money, biblically, is not evil. It's dangerous. We'll talk about that, but it's certainly not evil, right? Uh, Because God doesn't give evil things and call them blessings, all right? And so money certainly isn't evil. What is it then? It's a tool. Money is a tool, all right? And you can put a tool in one person's hand, and it's dangerous. You can put a tool in another person's hand, and it's helpful, all right? In our house, you put a tool in Lindsay's hand, it's helpful. You put a tool in my hand, get out of the way. Watch out. It's dangerous, right? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about power tools, right? Tools are not moral, okay, or immoral. Tools are neutral, and then how you use them can be for good or bad. And money is like the ultimate tool, It's the tool that's talked about the most in the scriptures, right? It's a tool that can be used for good or for bad, not moral or immoral intrinsically. So money, God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. This leads us then to a big question, a big question that we all have to answer. Why then did God give me this wealth? Why did God give me this wealth? And before you go, well, I'm not wealthy, well, I mean, of course, you probably know this. Statistically, you're, everyone in this room is one of the 10 wealthiest uh, in the top 10% worldwide, right? Like everyone in here is top 10% worldwide uh, in wealth. And so um, from a worldly perspective, everybody in this room is very wealthy. Uh, and so why did God give us this wealth? Simple answer in the scriptures is this, to steward it. 
A steward is a, uh, somebody who manages an owner's resource in the same way the owner would manage it. A steward is somebody who manages an owner's resource in the same way that the owner would manage it. How or why did God give us this wealth? To steward it. 1 Corinthians 4.2 then gives us um, what I think should be and is one of the um, most powerful uh, money verses in all of Scripture. I'm going to give you a couple verses today that I would say these are really money verses um, that you might not think of uh, are money verses, the last one being a really famous verse that we don't often think is a money verse, but really is a money verse. 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. God owns all the money. He lets us steward some of it. Why did God give me, why did God give you your wealth? So that you could faithfully steward it, and it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, which would lead us then to the very obvious question of, well then, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? What does it mean to be a faithful steward? And so this is the question that every person who is a follower of Christ should be asking. What does it mean to be a faithful steward with the wealth that God has allowed me to earn and to make and to create? What does it look like to be a faithful steward? And so I'm going to give you um, two big steps. You're just going to have to kind of follow the outline here. I'm going to give you two big steps and then a couple of little steps underneath. Um, here's the first thing, what it means to be a faithful steward is this. Um, to, number one, to master money, not let money master you. Or said another way. To worship God, not worship money. The famous verse that sums this up is Luke 16, uh, verse 13. Luke 16, verse 13. You've probably heard this one before. This is also where some people get their ideas mixed up on that money is evil. Um, that, that's also in First Timothy. We'll look there too. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus sets it up really clear. He's like, you got two options. You can love me or you can love money. You can serve me or you can serve money. You can't serve both. Me or it. Now, money's not evil. We're going to walk through that. It's not evil, right? But you can't serve it. Now, what does it look like then when we begin to serve money? And here's where we're going to deal with the heart issues um, that end up tripping us up when it comes to handling money in uh, God's way. And, and I would think that most of us, if we're honest with each other, can, uh, or just yourself, can see in here that either one or all three of these things uh, might have tripped you up at certain times. Let's start with the big one, greed. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. I got all sorts of verses tonight. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is talking about the absolute danger 
of money and the absolute danger of what it's saying, desiring to be rich. The idea here then, uh, it's like it's a craving that instead of waking up and craving Christ, instead of waking up and craving holiness, instead of craving pursuit of Jesus, you wake up craving money. You wake up craving uh, making more, being able to spend more, being able to get more. It consumes you. One pastor uh, that I listen to says, no one ever says they're greedy. No one ever says they're greedy. He's like, so you got to give people little tips to help them figure it out. And he says, uh, one of the tips is his and one of them is is mine. His tip is always, um, if in all of your daydreaming, you're daydreaming about your wealth or getting more of it, that might be a sign. He says, why? Because your heart is only drawn and always drawn to it. It's always drawn to it. And so that's all you can think about. Consumes your empty time. My, uh, the other tip I would say is this. Um, with, with, with greed, one of the things that's interesting with greed is to um, uh, try to understand how your heart responds to sudden changes in your financial position. So somebody says, here's a lump sum of money that you didn't see coming. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. I said when I had this amount of money, I would be way more generous. But now I have it. And now I don't want to give it up. And all of a sudden, it reveals something. Or there's a sudden loss, and you go, my life is over. Everything's gone now. Everything's done, right? Like, why even go on, right? And and so these sudden switches, actually, what they do is they reveal something going on in the heart. They reveal something going on in the heart. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, this would be a good reason why, and sometimes it's like people who hate money, like they read these type of verses, and they're like, I just got to stay away from it. But, you know, (laughs) that's impractical, uh, and, and not necessarily even what it's saying. It's just saying, be careful and watch your heart. Check your heart. Why? Because the desire for this thing can ruin you. It can destroy marriages. You've probably seen it. It can destroy relationships with kids. You've probably seen it. Relationships with parents, relationships with friends, relationships with, um, uh, with people who you used to be close to and then money got in it. I mean, we've all heard the phrase, like money makes people do crazy things. And all of a sudden money starts working its way in and people whose character you thought were some, was something, all of a sudden money starts playing in and you see, whoa, there's something underneath there. Why? Because the money got touched, Right? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Okay, that's the first one. Greed, greed. This, what are you craving? Would be kind of the question to go along with it. Let me give you the second one. The second one is uh, up there. It's going to say trusting in money. Um, I'm also going to give like a, a like a slash on that one. I would say that the same idea here uh, in trusting in money is kind of it's a fear mentality a fear mentality uh, with money. So either trusting in money or fear, I'm gonna kind of use those as interchangeable terms. Um, let's go to Proverbs eleven twenty one. We're just dealing with the heart right now. Um, and, and remember, this is my job. My job as a pastor is to deal with the heart. Your Ramsey Plus account is gonna deal with a lot of the practical stuff. We are gonna get a little more practical here as far as the Bible gets practical. Um, but I'm, I'm not gonna talk to you about your investments tonight. Uh, I'm gonna start here by talking about the heart uh, and then we'll get more into God's game plan for money. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. This, the second uh, uh, trap that our hearts fall into is trusting in 
money, making it our security, making it the thing that we look out and go, okay, my life means something or my life is safe right now because of the amount of money that I have. First Timothy 6.17 adds it even a little bit more. It says this, First Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, okay, so that's all of us, right? Uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, Okay, so don't be prideful about it. I won't even touch that one tonight. No, I'll touch this one though. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so we see the two things there, um, uh, trust and hope working together. And I think what we trust in is often what we hope in. And what we hope in is what we're trusting is gonna satisfy that which we're longing for. And so what he's saying here is this, that, uh, or the second heart attitude is that like your, your trust, isn't it, I mean, you've probably heard this before, like isn't it crazy that our founding fathers wrote, in God we trust on our money, Right? Like they were wise enough to look at it and go, okay, so many people are going to trust this thing that's in front of me right now. So let's just put these words on here to remind ourselves that even though we're making this thing, we don't trust in this thing. Like they actually wrote it on it. Like, hey, moron, stop. Like that was the subtle message underneath. Don't put your hope, don't put your hope in riches. What, what are our hopes, by the way? Our hopes are the things that we look out into the future and say, okay, my hope is this. If I obtain that, if I get that, as long as that is there, then everything is going to be okay. That's what hope is. As long as I have this, then it'll be good. Then I'm going to be okay. And he's saying, don't put your hope in riches. Don't put your trust in riches. I would say then, again, the slash on this is a fear mentality because I think um, we begin to trust in something because it eliminates our fears. And so um, the, all of the fear that around, surrounds money. Am I going to have enough? What happens if I get sick? What happens if I can't pay the bill? What happens if a loved one passes? What happens if um, the stock market crashes? What happens if la di da di da di da And you keep going on. And, uh, and so then there's this fear mentality around money. Uh, and so then what we tend to do then is try to build ourselves a, um, uh, a reserve or we try to build up something uh, that uh, makes it so even if this happens, I'm still going to be safe because I'll still have this amount of money. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, really successful. Um, he's my age, has, has done unbelievably well for himself. I was chatting with him, and uh, he was telling me how, uh, and I didn't know this part of his story, but about three years ago, um, his son uh, was born premature, had to go to the NICU, cost him $700,000 out of pocket. Okay? And I tell you that story, just say this. He had done unbelievably well. Unbelievably well. $700,000, okay? All of a sudden, all that he did well, gone, just like that, right? And um, I was like, that is an unbelievable story, right? Uh, and, and obviously in extreme, but it proves a point that like we can try to build our nest and do all of this kind of stuff, but in the end, we just gotta say, who am I trusting and what am I trusting? Who am I trusting and what am I trusting, right? And it's gotta be him. It's gotta be, it's gotta be God. Okay, all right, so that's the second one, is that, um, that uh, I'm just gonna call it fear, that fear mentality with money. And by the way, it is the fear mentality with money. Um, all of these prohibit us from walking out God's plan, um, but the, the big thing uh, that fear does uh, is it stops us from often releasing money because we're afraid if I, if I release it, it'll never come back to me to take care of what I need, right? That's where fear uh, most often plays in following God's plan. Okay, number three, number three, third heart thing that we gotta deal with before we're gonna be able to do it God's way is envy, envy. 
And this is a tough one for us to admit often, but it's just wanting what somebody else has. I was reading an author who is saying the difference between jealousy and envy envy is jealousy says, I want what you have. Envy says, I want what you have and I will ruin you (laughs) in order to get it. Or I'll ruin you if I never get it. And so envy becomes like almost vitriol to the person who has it. And oftentimes this is why you see people say things or make accusations or write on Facebook or make outrageous claims about other people because it's really just driven by envy right? They're just jealous and angry about what somebody else has. And this one also drives us, but this one drives us a lot. I mean, I remember in my mid-20s then when I kind of had dealt with a lot of the things that I had, I was working in ministry um, from a comparable purpose, like not making a lot of money at all. And it was getting at that point where all of my friends had been done with school and were growing into their careers. And by about 28 to 29, I'm looking around and I'm like, man, most of the friends that I went to high school with either have a zero or a one right? (laughs) Like they either have a zero at the end of my salary or they have a one before my salary. And it was like, man, you know, we're all prideful. Like I was smarter than them, right? Or or whatever, right? And then, and you start dealing with that. And I was like, wow, like I had kind of dealt with the greed one and the fear one, but it wasn't until I got older and started looking around at the people I graduated high school with where I was like, okay, now envy starting to take over. Right? Because they're like, oh, I'm not envious of the people who are 20 years older than me, because when I'm 20 years older, I'll be where they're at. Right? We talk ourselves into that. But then when we look at the people who are the same age as us, we go, well, hold on. Right? And then envy starts to take a place in our heart. And then this is the one, I think, more than any of the other two that begins to drive us to do silly things. Right? Oh, I got I to gotta drive this. We've got to buy this. We've got to take these types of vacations. We've got to pay this kind of tuition. We've got to wear these kind of clothes. We've got to do all of this kind of stuff. Because in the, in the envy, when it's driving underneath, then we start playing all of these comparison games. This oftentimes a lot, um, when when there is envy about older generations, this will make people who are younger look at people who are older and go like, oh, well, they don't understand. Or or honestly, sometimes now in Christianity, you'll have people who are younger look at people who are older who live a lifestyle that they've built over 30, 40 years and go, oh, they must not love Jesus. Look at their house. They must not love Jesus. Look at their car. And say really foolish things like that because they're driven by this envy, right? And sometimes it can be cloaked in self-righteousness. Right Now, uh, off a lot of this stuff then, it drives us to do silly things with money, right? Uh, and so then this is when massive debt gets in or, uh, or this is when people say, well, you know, like, like someday I'll be able to, right? And whatever that is, right? But the reason they'll someday never be able to is because if they never deal with the envy issue in the heart or if they never deal with the fear issue or the greed issue, if they never deal with it, then they'll never be the thing that they think they're going to be someday, I'm teaching our youth tomorrow, and one of the phrases I'm going to use for them is be today who you want to be tomorrow, because you'll never be tomorrow who you want to be today, unless if you are today who you want to be tomorrow, right? I love it when people are always like, you know, if I win the lotto, I'm going to give so much money to this church. And depending on who it is, I just laugh and go, no, you ain't, because you don't give anything now. <laughs> like, and having that times 100, you're not, it's just not in you. It's not in you. Because it's not, if it's not in you now, Ramsey always says this, money doesn't build character, money reveals it, right? It reveals it. And so this is, okay, so that's, those are the three, GFE, greed, fear, and envy. 
greed, fear, and envy. And those are the things that if we never deal with those in our heart, then we can't make the transition. And here's what we're doing right now. We're transitioning from the heart warnings of money in the scriptures. Now we're transitioning into, okay, now God's plan for it because we want to be faithful stewards. We want to master it, not let it master us. And so we have to stop and go, okay, so how do we, how, how does things change for the Christian? How do we go from greed, fear, and envy to generosity, family, and everyone else, okay? Because that's the flip that needs to happen. We're going to go from greed, fear, envy to generosity, family, and everyone else. I'm going to explain that in a second. How do we do that? Well, how does the Christian always change? Do the gospel. Do the gospel. It's not just about practical lessons. We'll talk about that tonight, sure. And you'll, you'll see that in your Ramsey account plus, but it's not just through practicality. It's not just through mental, like, oh, mathematically, this is better if I do it that way. No, it's gotta be a heart change. And so the money, money like anything else, it comes back to my belief in the gospel. It comes back to, I, do I believe uh, that the beauty of the gospel is the most incredible thing to gaze upon? Am I like in Matthew 13 where the guy has all of this money, but there's a treasure hidden in a field. The treasure doesn't have monetary value. There's a treasure hidden in a field. And he says, man, I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm going to go buy the field so I can get the treasure. And the treasure is the gospel, right? Am I willing to give everything up because I've gazed at the beauty of the gospel? Because I've seen what Christ has given me in the cross. I've seen the forgiveness of my sins. I've seen his sacrifice laid out for me. I've seen the fact that I was destined to hell apart from him, and then he rescued me um, from my sin, and that is such a beautiful thing. It is all of the riches that I could ever really need, and I'm so now content in the beauty of the gospel that all of my greed, my fear, and my envy can be transitioned into something better and beautiful. Beautiful. And that's really what it comes down to. It's the gospel. It's going through the gospel flip then and the gospel just radically altering our hearts. And when the gospel then changes our hearts, instead of greed, fear, and envy on this side, it goes through what we, what we call the gospel flip and it comes out on the other side instead of greed, generosity, right? Instead of fear, I'll, I'll use one of two words, faith or family. I'll walk through those in a second. Right, instead of envy, everyone else because I've gone through the gospel flip. And so in the end, my friends, all of this, by the way, because everything, it's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. It comes back down to, do I believe the gospel? Do I believe that my, uh, that my, my redemption and my salvation is really the most beautiful thing to behold? Okay, now let's say you believe it. And say you go through this gospel flip, all right? Step one of what it means to be a faithful steward, right, uh, was to master money, not let it master you, which means the gospel has to change you to reverse your greed, your fear, and your envy, okay? And then the second thing then is to begin to handle money God's way. That's the second step. What does it mean to be a faithful steward? Well, run his playbook. Run God's playbook. You say, well, what is God's playbook? That's what we're gonna talk about now. Okay, Um, so step one, I have a lot of different steps, so you'll have to kind of be clear if you're taking notes. Step one in handling money God's way is this. This is right from the Bible. Work for it. Work for it. Work for it. And I love the Bible because the Bible loves hard work. Genesis 1, I've talked about this a lot. We are given a man, we are given a mandate to work. Okay, we are wired and designed to work. And we were made to work. And, um, uh, and we were made to work for money. Let me give you a slew of verses. And I'll give you New Testament and Old Testament. Um, that way nobody can, can complain. Proverbs 13, 4. Here's your first one. The soul of the sluggard, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. 
while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Uh, I think it's the New King James Version that says, the soul of the diligent gets rich. <laughs> it just says it that way. It takes out the richly supplied. Uh, and, and what's it saying? Uh, it, it's saying, listen, when, you, when, you're, when you're lazy, when you're the sluggard, uh, you, you want, okay, but you won't get, okay? But when you work hard, you will get. It, it, there is this biblical doctrine of work. Work, work, work. Proverbs 10, 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, are there exceptions to every little rule in the scriptures? Sure. Can we all talk about somebody who we know who worked really, really hard and fell on really, really tough times? Absolutely. And when we look at Proverbs, we're not looking at like biblical absolutes. We're looking at biblical principles and, uh, and concepts. And what it's saying is, generally speaking, a slack hand causes poverty and the hand of the diligent makes rich. Next verse, Proverbs 21.5. I could have done 10 more of these ones. Proverbs 24 and 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Hasty about what? Hasty about um, the, the way we commit ourselves to work. Hasty about the way we spend our money. Hasty about um, uh, the, the way we build a career. Hasty about uh, making a quick financial decision. That's a really poor decision. Uh, another proverb talks about the idea of chasing after um, basically get-rich-quick schemes. Like, I'm going to run over to this. I'm going to make a hasty or a poor decision. And it's saying, when you do that, where is it going to lead? The principle, it's going to lead to poverty. Where does it lead when you have a plan? Where does it lead when you work hard? Where does it lead when you build a, uh, build a career or you build a business or uh, you build, build, build over time? It leads to riches. And who gives you those riches? God. God. And so step one in God's like handle money this way is like work hard. And we live in one of the like greatest times ever to be an employee, Right? Like, I mean, it better than any other time to be an employee. Like, there are jobs everywhere. I had dinner with a buddy the other day, and he's like, I need to hire 10 people right now. Um, he's like, I don't care. Like, like can they talk? <laughs> like, can they walk? And will they show up? He's like, I, I've got 15 to 20 bucks an hour. He's like, I need 10 of them, right? And, and like, because I work at a church, everyone who ever needs to hire somebody always comes to me. I'm like, do you know anyone who needs a job right now, right? Like, it just, it happens. I have this conversation twice a week right now. And there's never been a better time to be an employee and to work. There's never been a better time to start a business. There's never been a better time to like, just like God to flow through you and to just say, I'm going to go do something that God has planted on my heart. He gave you the power to do it. And then you go do it. And then Luke tells us this, he who is faithful with little will be given much. And so when you prove faithful with little, then you're given a lot more right? And so uh, when we're faithful and we're faithful and we work and we work, God just says, here's some more. Then 2 Thessalonians, this one is my favorite. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. I love that he says, brothers, we, I'm saying in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is like, I just want to make sure that we're all clear here that what I'm writing is from Jesus. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with the toil and labor, we worked night and 
and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. By the way, that first, that little line right there, like in modern day, like he worked night and day. Like sometimes now we live in this environment where it's like, well, you know, we need to have proper boundaries and I get boundaries and I get rest and I get all of that kind of stuff. But you know what? Sometimes you have to just keep working because that's the season that you're in. And sometimes you work 60 hours, and sometimes you work 80 hours, and sometimes you work 70 hours, and then sometimes you work 30. But like, even Paul is like, we worked night and day. Like, we just kept working, right? We kept working, and we kept working. This is a verse I always, by the way, I get it. I'm a pastor, right? Sometimes people are like, well, Stephen, you know, you own a business outside of the church, and I don't really like that, and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm going to get a little personal tonight. And it always makes me laugh, because I'm like, you know, there were two very famous bivocational ministers in the scriptures, Paul and Jesus. 50% of pastors are bivocational. Right, and so when people ever like bring that up, I always just laugh and I'm like, go read your Bible, okay? Like, just, just read that first and then let's talk. He, he says, we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And everyone said, Amen. Right. Right. Like we live in this culture that's so like soft. It's like, no, no, no. Everyone should be able to get everything like all of the time. Well, not according to the Bible. Like you should get what you work for when it comes to this. So work for it. That's God's first plan. Work for it. Work for it. Work for it. Listen, anyone in here who's like 25-ish or younger, let me tell you a superpower. Right now, if you want a superpower, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Show up to work and work hard superpower, okay? Like you will get promoted so quickly, all right? You will become a superhero, all right? Like um, I currently employ 130 people, okay? Anyone who shows me that they want to work hard, you know what I do? I pay them more, okay? Like because it is a superpower right now if you show up to work and you work hard, right? And you will get paid more because every employer in here right now is like looking for people who will work hard and will pay them more if they will. It's a superpower, but it's also God's plan. It's also godly. Work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And even as Christians, by the way, who are, who are moved by the gospel, like we should be the hardest working people that people know. Okay? And like part of this, like even in this whole talk is like, man, it's a little bit of just energy around this. Like, man, God gave me talents and God gave me skills and God gave me um, appropriate ambition and I'm going to use it because he put it in me. And so let's go work for it. And I hope part of what tonight is for some of us is like, man, it's starting to just recalibrate a little bit. You just need another momentum hit to be like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing and, and work for it because it's part of God's plan. Number two then, okay, so after you work for it, then you get it, right? You get the money after you work for the money. And then the second step then is to steward it wisely, steward it wisely. So this is number two under number two, okay, if you're taking notes. So how do we handle money God's way? First, we work for it, then we steward it wisely. And now let me give you God's five-step plan in the Bible. Here's God's five-step plan in the Bible. Number one, tithe. Number two, family. Number three, serve others. Number four, enjoy. I'm going to give you verses for all these, by the way, so don't freak out. Number five, legacy. Number one, tithe. Number two, family. Number three, serve others. Number four, enjoy. Number five, legacy. Yep. Number one, tithe. Number two, family. Number three, serve others. Number four, enjoy. Number five, legacy. All right? 
Five, this is God's five-step plan in the scriptures. And, he, and I'm just going to lay it out for you, okay? Um, the first one is the tithe. It's the tithe. Now, I'll tell you what. Anyone who's really understood God's plan with money loves talking about the tithe. Like, just loves it. Because they've just seen the faithfulness of it over the years, and it's like their favorite subject, right? Like, you, can, like you know a giver because they're like, when they make money, they're like more excited about the tithe check than they are paying down the mortgage, right? Because like God has just done something in their heart toward it. And here's the fun thing about the tithe. It's the easiest thing in the world to calculate. You just have to move two spots right? Like, that's it. That's all you got to do. You just got to move two spots. And so you make 110. You make 1,000, 100. You make 10,000, 1,000. You make 100,000, 10,000. You make a million, 100,000. You're like, there's really people that do that? Yeah, absolutely there are, right? And they fund churches, right? And and the tithe, like, when you, when God grabs a hold of your heart, it is just, like, it becomes the most exciting thing about all of this conversation, even more exciting than steps two, three, four, and five, right? And I would say this, that's one of the indicators that, like, the gospel is really sunk in uh, is that you make the money and you're like, wow, I can't believe we get to give this much. Like, I really can't. Like, and this is more fun than anything else is like writing this, writing this out. Okay. Um, now here's one question that often comes up about the tithe and I'm just going to answer it briefly. Sometimes people be like, well, you know what? I don't really know if the tithe is new covenant, right? Okay. Well, let me, let me address that real quick. Okay, is the tithe new covenant? My short answer is yes. My longer answer is maybe, okay? And then my really long answer is yes, okay? All right, so, um, but anyway, let me give you a couple of thoughts around it. One, the tithe existed before the covenants, okay? So read Genesis and read Hebrews. The tithe had nothing to do with the covenant. It was before the covenant, and then in Hebrews, it seems to be affirming it post-covenant. Jesus said these words, when you tithe, okay, in the book of Matthew. And here's my other one. This is not biblical, but why would God get rid of such a good idea, okay? Like the Sabbath. Like, oh, the Sabbath is a new covenant. Well, is rest a good idea? Yeah, it is. But, but it's not New Covenant. We don't have to, like, not move on Saturdays anymore, right? Okay, no. But is it still a really good idea to rest and to pause and to break? Yes, it is. It's a really good idea, right? And so to me, I look at the Sabbath and the tithe very similarly, right? Like, are any of us under law? No, we're not, right? We're not, though. The tithe wasn't actually part of the law. It was part of the pre-covenant, but that's okay. Okay, um, but is it still good for us? I think so. I think so. And what does the Bible say about the tithe? Let me just give you the most famous verse because I think this is the most fun. Malachi 3.10. Some of you already know this one because you're tithers. Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Malachi 3.10. What a great verse. What a great verse. God's like, just go ahead and test me in this one right? Like just, he's like, just go ahead and test me. Like you can try it, right? You can come up and listen, listen, it's in this one right here, by the way, where the first, where the three heart um, um, struggles with money really start to play themselves out. Okay. So then uh, when it comes to the time, there's the greed one. And it's like, no man, I really worked hard for this and I desired to work for it. And then I got it. Now you want me to give it up. Okay. So now we're struggling with the greed one. Then there's the fear one. Okay. No, hold on. I just got this. And now I'm building up this, 
this thumb. And if I get rid of it, I'm not going to be able to take care of this. And I'm not going to be able to take care of that. And so then our fear stops us. And then there's the third one, which is the envy and the comparison one. That one starts to play into it because what happens is we go, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not going to be able to tithe and buy that kind of car. I'm not going to be able to tithe and buy that kind of house. I'm not going to be able to tithe and go on that kind of vacation. I'm not going to be able to tithe and go do that. And so then what we do is we allow the greed, the fear, and the envy mentalities to dictate God's plan instead of letting the scriptures dictate God's plan, right? Because the greed and the fear and the envy are ruling the heart, right? And by the way, the easiest way to decide, or I think the easiest way to dictate, like, am I being ruled by money or am I allowing money to rule me, is to simply ask the question, am I operating God's plan? I think that's just the easiest way to measure it. Now, can you do it from a self-righteous thing? Sure, certainly that'll be probably a conversation for another night. But I think the easiest indicator is to simply say, like, hey, am I aligned with God's strategy for all of this? And so he just says, test me in it. Test me in it. So that would be the, that would be the, uh, the, the, encouragement to anybody in here. Test me in it. And I'll tell you what, no season will ever be better than any other season to start. No season will ever be (laughs) any better than any other season to start, right? And so uh, as somebody, man, I've been tithing since I was, um, well, I guess uh, since as long as I can remember, but from a steady paycheck, um, when I was, since I was 19 years old, my first steady paycheck was $900 a month. All right. And so $90 a month was, was my tithe. And I've been doing this. And you know what? There's sometimes uh, some people will say, man, isn't it crazy to think about how much money you've given over the last 15 years? And I'm like, no, it's crazy to think about how much money God has given me over the last 15 years. That's what's crazy that he would trust me with that much over these 15 years, that he has always made it so that I've had enough, that he has always taken care of me, that he has always positioned my family okay, that, that like, we've always just been okay uh, taking 10%. And so for me, that's 10% from the church. It's 10% from the business, right? It's 10%. Any money that comes in, like we're just, we're going and it's just going to be 10% and it's super easy to do the math on it. And God has been unbelievably faithful in it. And he says, test me in it. Just test me. Try it. So let me say that to all of you. Test them. Test them. Try it. See what happens. Don't let greed, fear, and envy be the things that stop you, though. Right? Let generosity be the fuel for it. Let me give you five more things about the tithe, right? Just because I love it because it has meant so much to me. It's meant so much to Lindsay and I through our lives. Number one, the tithe helps us build trust. God, if I give this... I'm trusting you're going to take care of me. The, guy, the, the tithe helps us destroy greed. God, if I give this, I know I can't also. The tithe helps us move past fear. God, I'm giving this, and I'm absolutely confident you're going to take care of me. The tithe helps us replace envy with contentment. Okay, God, I'm giving this, uh, and, and I understand that as I give this, I always say this, a Christian should probably live one to two lifestyles underneath their income, right? Christians probably always live one to two lifestyles underneath their income. Why? Well, the first 10% is gone, <laughs> right? And so you're going to just adjust, right? Like, so you're probably going to live one to two lifestyles underneath, right? Instead of um, trying to live one to two lifestyles above, right? The Christian just lives one to two underneath. Why? Well, the first 10% I'm already taken away. But here's the third thing. Uh, oh, second thing. Um, uh, second thing about the time. It fulfills Paul's encouragement to excel at this grace of giving, 
okay? If it fills the, uh, that encouragement. Paul says, hey, excel at this grace of giving. I was having a conversation with a guy at the church. Um, he's a very close friend of mine, and we have personal conversations about personal finance. It's just kind of part of our friendship. And we're chatting through it, and I said, man, you guys did awesome last year. Like, you gave a lot, dude. Good work. I was like, that's awesome. And he, like, appreciates this conversation. I wouldn't just say that to anybody, right? Like, he, like, appreciates this conversation, and we're having this conversation, and I was like, dude, yeah, like, you know, like, this is the percentage of you, uh, of our budget that you were in. And we were kind of continuing to talk about it. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He goes, I know what I make and I know what my wife makes. He goes, how is it possible that we're that important? And I said, oh, because you tithe. I said, it's such a rare thing now in the church even and amongst Christians that it like makes you, you're, you're excelling, right? And I said, you're incredible, dude. And I know you both have very like hard jobs that aren't typically associated with wealth, but dude, you're just being faithful in this and, uh, and you're excelling at it. I said, it's awesome. I said, great job, man. I'm, I'm super proud of you. And, and he'd actually be one of the people who would probably just come up here and say, like, listen, man, ever since I started, like, I've just been faithful in my tithe since I was 22, and it is amazing what God has done in my life. And I bet some of you out there would, would probably say the same. Number three, the thing about the tithe, it motivates us to more closely watch the other 90%. That's one of the things I love about the tithe. I get rid of the first 10%. I give that. And by the way, if you're like, what is a tithe? I didn't even explain that at the beginning. It is uh, simple. It's 10% of what I make given back to God's church to fund his movement. That's it. That's it. Okay? It's 10% of what I make given back to God's church in order to fund his movement. Okay? The third thing um, that, that it does, though, is it makes me think about the other 90%. Why? Because it, it, sometimes we have an income and we're like, oh, I'm fine, right? But then it's like, okay, I have an income, but now I'm giving away 10%. Okay, now I got to actually stop and think about the 90%, which is actually, okay, like a godly thing to do is to stop and to plan through the other 90%. And so the tithe is just kind of a cheat code to make you think about the other 90. Number four, it ties our hearts to our local church family. And I'll tell you what, the, the more you grow in generosity, the more you give your tithe, the more you just get excited about what God is doing, and the more your heart, this is scriptural, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more your heart just gets tied, and you start thinking, man, like, I'm giving, and if, particularly at our church, like, this is why I love giving to our church, because I know how efficient we are and how we handle our money, and I know the fact that already this year, we've blessed, I think, 90 people with our family fund already this year. We're six weeks into the year, and so I know that when I give, okay, like I am giving to my brother and sister in need. And like, I'm going to get to this at the end, but the end goal of all of this conversation that we're having right now and the part of the vision of the church for this is that someday we would arrive at a place where Acts chapter five is true and that there would not be a need among us. That's the goal. And God gave us a really good plan on how to get there right? And so this is the next step. Then you're just faithful uh, with this. So that was the fourth thing. It ties your heart. And then number five, it advances the kingdom quickly and powerfully. It does. It just, the tithe is like, I mean, it just happens. And, 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 I, and I'll be honest, like um, if the tithe disappears from the DNA of young Christians, so too will the church. Like, I'm, I'm just telling you, like, I, I, like, I've been doing this for 15 years. Like if, if the tithe disappears in the DNA of young Christians, then so too will the church. Because it's it just, it is what has funded the church for, for 2,000 years, right? Okay, um, and, and, so, uh, and so it advances the kingdom quickly and powerfully. So then the question always is like, well, when should I start? I don't know. How soon do you want to test God? How soon do you want to start a good thing? I always start good things as soon as possible. Step number two then, after the, the generosity then, um, or the tithe is family, okay? It's family. This verse Many of us know this verse. He who does not provide for his family is what? Worse than an unbeliever. 
He who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so it goes generosity or the tithe. And then step two is taking care of your family. And it is absolutely biblical to take care of your family, right? Now, what we have to ask ourselves is what does it mean to provide for our families, right? Well, providing for our families then needs to be in alignment with the rest of God's game plan. And so very simply, what that means for Lindsay and I is this, that providing for our family uh, means that we always, um, that we... Provision for our family never means not being able to give our tithe. And so we just know there's no house we're going to buy. There's no car that we're going to drive. There's no clothes or wardrobe that we're going to develop. There's no tuition that we're going to pay. There's no vacations that we're going to take, right, that would ever inhibit our ability to operate in step one, right? And so we just start with step one. And then that step two then is, okay, I'm going to provide for my family in a way that aligns with step one. And so now I have the other 90% to take care of my family. And I do a little catechism with Reagan, okay? And we walk through all of these things that I want her to know and I want her to know. And there's a theology or doctrine catechism. We walk through the doctrine catechism. Then there's a work ethic catechism. We walk through the work ethic catechism. And then there's a money catechism. And I go, Reagan, there's what? There's freedom in a, and she goes, budget. And I say, cash is smart. And she says, debt is dumb, right? And so I walk her through this every night, right? She's four. And she knows, Reagan knows, there's freedom in a budget. And, uh, and there is great, incredible freedom in a budget. And uh, a lot of your Ramsey Plus account, by the way, is going to walk you through these budgeting apps. And it's going to walk you through the budgeting tool. Lindsay and I started doing a budgeting app in uh, October of 19. And we were good with our money before then. But then you actually start looking at it and you realize, wow, we spent a lot of money over here that we don't really need to spend. And once you start doing it, all of a sudden it starts to change the way you want to act and operate a little bit because you're actually seeing the allocation of it. By the way, most people don't have revenue problems. They have allocation problems, right? Most people don't have revenue problems. They have allocation problems, right? And and when you start to then think through it, then you solve your allocation problem and you take care of your family and take care of your family. It's absolutely important. And how do you do that? Well, you you, you start with your tithe then you plan accordingly, right? With your budget, the 90% underneath, right? And then you do the other two things that the scripture talks about, which is save sufficiently and plan for the future, right? Proverbs 21, 20. Let me give you another verse. A lot of these are Proverbs. Solomon also had a lot of money. Proverbs 21, 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. It's just the idea. Like, if you spend everything that comes in, he's just saying you're foolish. Like, make sure that you're not spending everything that you have bringing in. Like, calm down, take a breath, right, and start saving sufficiently, okay? And, uh, and, then, uh, and then investing uh, into your future. Okay, and so here's, here's all of this stuff that's, that's kind of coming together then. It's like step one is I'm going to be generous with my tithe. I'm going to test God in it and, and just trust that he's going to be faithful because I'm not motivated by my greed, my fear, or my envy. I'm motivated by generosity and, and family and everyone else. And, and so I'm going to start with that and then I'm going to take care of my family. I'm never going to do something that's going to prohibit my ability to, to do the tithe. I'm going to budget accordingly then uh, and then I'm going to save sufficiently. I'm going to invest into my future. Okay, uh, and, and then we get to the fun parts. I think the first two are really fun, but then we get to the next three fun parts, and and, and I'll go through these ones relatively quickly. Step number three is this, serve others. Step number three is serve others. 
That's step number three. So what do we do after our generosity and after taking care of our families? We serve others with it. And this is when you intentionally begin to look into your budget and you go, man, this is the fun part. Like uh, we've been generous with our tithe. We've been um, faithful uh, in our budget and all of that kind of stuff. And now we get to start serving other people, right? And there's a lot of different fun ways to do this. Uh, And as you start working and getting a hang of step one and step two, then it opens up opportunities to serve others in even better ways. And so for Lindsay and I, uh, this always looks like um, putting hospitality into our, into our budget. It looks like putting um, uh, gifts into our budget. It, it looks like having fun with like just walking around with cash and like, you know, like trying to throw out larger cash bills on tips and all of that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's fun. And because you get, then get to serve other people with it, right? And that's step number three. That's God's step number three. And then we get to God's step number four. And God's step number four is this, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Ecclesiastes chapter five. I'm gonna go back to that one. I know I read it at the beginning, but maybe you missed this really important word. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to what? Enjoy them. Guess what? You can enjoy your money. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. Just follow the steps, right? I'm gonna start with my tithe and my generosity, right? And then I'm gonna take care of my family and then I'm gonna serve other people as needs arise. And then what am I gonna do if I got anything left? I'm gonna enjoy it. Man, I have a buddy, um, he, he just bought himself a Rolex, okay? And he's been wanting this thing for so long. And like we had lunch the other day and he told me and I was like, dude, I'm so happy for you. Like you've wanted this thing for so long and I know that you're faithful uh, in your tithe and I know you're faithful and you've served your family and I know you always think about other people and you've done really well and now you get to enjoy it. And guess what? That's exactly what he says right here is a gift of God to be able to enjoy what you do. And so that's the fun part. You walk through the steps and you get to the place where you get to enjoy it and you get to say, all right, I'm going to have fun with it. And I would say this, it can be just as unbiblical sometimes to refuse to enjoy what God has given you as it can be to be absolutely unbelievably frivolous with it. Okay, maybe not quite as unbiblical, but man, there's a certain element of like, God blessed you with this to enjoy it, to have fun with it, to, I don't know, take the trip, to bless the family member, to go out, to whatever it is, like just enjoy it. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, somebody the other day was like, Stephen, you have a lot of pairs of tennis shoes. I don't really have that many pairs of tennis shoes. Okay, I just wear them very sparingly so people think I have a lot of pairs of tennis shoes. Okay, Um, but when we started our business, one of the things I said is, hey, whenever I get a profit share check, I'm gonna buy a stupid $100 pair of tennis shoes. Okay, now, um, that's like a a very small amount of everything. And of course, that's after the tithe and it's after fitting in our budget. And that was like my little way of being like, okay, I bought some Nikes that I would have never bought. And it's fine. And you can enjoy money. And that is totally okay. Number five, leaving a legacy. That's the fifth step. Fifth step, leaving a legacy. Proverbs 13.22. Probably most of us know Proverbs 13.22. I'm going to show you that what's funny is the verse that is actually directly connected to it is also a verse that most of us know, but most of the time we don't know that the two verses are connected. Proverbs 13.22. A good man, oh, sorry, it's the next, it's the next verse, not this verse, sorry. Um, a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Leave a legacy. Number five, that's God's fifth, 
upset. It's like leave a legacy on it. And, and so I just know, like for me, like unless God changes my mind between here and now, like the reason I teach Reagan Catechism now is because God made me a steward of his money. And however much of that money he gives me over the course of my lifetime, me and my wife, of course, uh, I mean the plural me there, uh, however much money God gives me, it is then going to be my job to pass that on to somebody who is a steward of it. And there is no one that I'm going to trust more to be a proper steward of it than the person that I raised for 18 years. And so why would I give my money to uh, uh, an organization where a new CEO could come in and like waste it and like I don't even know who that person is, right? But instead I can give it to the people, the persons, the children that I have trained diligently to handle money God's way. And then when I pass down wealth that I have gotten to somebody else who I have trained and know is going to be faithful with the tithe, faithful to, um, uh, to take care of family, faithful to serve others, faithful to enjoy, and then faithful to leave a legacy beyond. When that builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, like, man, think about what we could do. Let me say this another way. Imagine if Rockefeller, Bezos, and Gates were all Christians. I mean, come on. It'd be insane. Like, that would be crazy, right? If they were, instead of giving, well, I won't get into this. Okay, like, just that would be, that would be crazy. And so you leave a legacy, right? And you pass it on, right? And, uh, uh, and then it builds over time, and it builds over time, and it builds over time. And so I hope in like 60 years, 70 years, 100 years, I don't know, however long I, after I am gone from now, that there's like some Whitlow or, you know, whatever, one of my future daughters or whatever with a different last name who's like, man, mom and dad started this thing, and now we fund this church plant because they took care of their money. Right? Like, that's awesome. That is incredible. Like, that's what I want. Like, I want, I want to get done and be like, Reagan, like, you watch over your brothers. If they start getting stupid or if they stop tithing, you steal that money back, all right? Writing it into the will, right? Like, mm-mm, you don't tithe, you lose it, right? Trust is over. We're going to handle it God's way in our family, right? And we're going to pass it on and we're going to build some power underneath it and it's a power to serve. It's a power to fund the kingdom. It's a power to advance redemption, right? And man, when you start putting all of this stuff together, then, then it actually gets really exciting because you're like, all of the money is God's and he lets me use some of it. He lets me steward some of it. And so I've got to ask this question, what am I going to do with the wealth that you've given me, right? Whether it's a little amount or it's a more amount, if I'm faithful with the little, you tend to give more. And so I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to um, see the beauty of the gospel and let it drive out all of those other things like greed, fear, and envy and let them be replaced by a gospel perspective of it, which is generosity and then taking care of my family and then serving everyone else. And I'm going to be faithful with my tithe because I know he's going to provide in the midst of it. And we're going to um, build this thing as a family, then we're going to pass it on, and they're just going to keep carrying it on and carrying it on and carrying it on, and I'm going to teach them all along the way. The whole point of all of this tool that God has given us is to see his kingdom grow. That's it. That's it. Let's just see his kingdom grow. Let's get it advanced. Let's, let's keep this thing moving from generation to generation. That's the next verse, Proverbs 22.6. Almost done. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Y'all know that verse? Okay, here's the next verse. This is funny. I don't know if you knew this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. 
Did you know those two verses were right next to each other? That's Dave Ramsey's famous verse, right? <laughs> don't get into debt. Don't get into debt. Don't get into debt. What's the verse right before it? <laughs> train your child correctly. Kind of funny that they're connected, right? It's like train them up. Teach them the right way. Teach them the right ways. Teach them the right ways. Train them up. Train them up. Train them up. And then leave a legacy. Okay. So let's wrap up. First, where are you at in all of this? Maybe you're on, maybe you're still in the greed, fear, envy stage, and God's just got to do a work in your heart. He's just got to settle you. He's got to bring you a peace. He's got to bring you a calm. You got to look back and gaze at the beauty of the gospel. You got to see the sovereignty of God and say, I'm just going to trust you in this, and I'm going to step out, and I'm going to start handling it your way. I'm going to be faithful with generosity. I'm going to start with my tithe, and I'm just going to watch you move, God. Maybe you're in the um, family phase and you're like, okay, you know what? We've been operating under this assumption that we have to take care of our family, but taking care of our family has actually been driven mostly by envy and comparison to other people. Okay, so we got caught up in that. Okay, let's uncatch ourselves up from that then. Okay, let's, let's, let's figure that out then and, and rewind or unwind a little bit. And so maybe you're there today right? Or maybe you're in the, uh, you're, you're just right in the heart of it. And what you needed today was the reminder to like, just keep on working, keep on going at it, right? Keep being diligent, keep waking up every day, keep being ambitious in all of the right ways in this area. Okay. And then maybe some of you, you're near the, you're, you're near thinking about the legacy stage. And I would say for you, what a great time to be just reminded of, Hey, I want to go back and check on those kids I raised or those grandkids I'm hanging out with or whatever, right? Because I want to see how you're doing. By the way, on the legacy thing, I, I, I misspoke one thing. Two, two things that are going to get my money. One is my children. The second is, is going to be this church, right? And I would say this church because I know who, whoever we're going to give to next, right, um, they're going to uh, handle money the same way that we do now because otherwise we would never pick them or replace them, right? Uh, and, and so they're going to be kingdom endeavors, though, building the kingdom of God. And so, you know, ask me where yourself, where, where are you at on this? And where, where is God saying, hey, get started in here today, Get started with this. And, and listen, today was just like the kickstart and it was the heart start. And then the Ramsey Plus account is all the practical tools to help you take everything that we've talked through today. And it's all on there. Just run with it and go with it. But make sure you deal with the heart issues first because if you don't deal with the heart issues first, then you're gonna run through all of this other stuff, but you haven't done what's first, which is making sure your heart's in the right place. And then here's the fun part to me. And here's why we're doing this as a church. It was like, why are you doing this as a church? Like, why is this important? Why are you doing a Ramsey night? Why did you buy the account memberships? All of that kind of stuff. Here's why we're doing this as a church. Because I think that if we get our hearts around this, and if we as a collective church family, okay, and there's a snapshot of us up here, but as this begins to infect our church culture, I think it'll be absolutely incredible to begin to look at our uh, church and say, man, we got people in here. And as a church culture, we're not driven by envy and comparison. And so we don't have this like, man, look at what they're rolling up into church in and look at what they're rolling up into church in. Instead, there's just like this peace and calm that says like, hey, man, like we're probably all at little different seasons and we're at different ages and we're at different income levels and that's fine and that's okay. And like, man, we've dropped all the judgment and we don't push each other to buy bigger and to buy more and to do more. We're just like letting God rule. Okay, I think that'd be an awesome place to be. I think the second awesome thing about this would be as we get this going on then as a church, as we like hop into this, then, then we begin to create, I think, this like uh, environment of generosity here. Uh, and for us, I think the most exciting thing for most of us to go to this church is our family fund. And so I think about it right now. We talked about this a couple months ago. Our budget right now is $100,000 a month. That means we have $10,000 every single month to make sure that we take care of needs and people in our church. Imagine if that was a million bucks a month. 
Then we'd have $100,000 at the beginning of every month to be like, okay, this $100,000 is completely set aside to seeing needs and then responding to them. How awesome would that be? Like, like, I mean, you could, we could begin to make like, a, like an actual, I mean, we make impact right now into individuals' lives uh, on the 10,000, but you start making a $100,000 impact every month. Like that could be like, that's like city forming, city shaping. And I was talking to somebody else about the vision of our church. I said, one of the hopes of my, um, one of the visions that I have for our church is that we would in, in this way set an example to other churches. And I hope there comes a day in church in Toledo that the idea of not having a family fund is like unacceptable. Right? They're like, every church is like, no, 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 no. The primary thing that we're supposed to do with money is we're supposed to take care of the needs within our church family. And that the church as a whole in Toledo just becomes known for the fact that the Christians give because they love Jesus and he changed their heart. And then the churches are setting aside chunks of money, big chunks of money. And they're not going to bigger buildings. Uh, and sometimes obviously that's necessary, but, the, but, but like they're setting aside that money first and they're making sure that every need is taken care of. That's the big goal. That's the big goal. Like, man, and guess what? As fun as it is, it gets to start with us walking this stuff out. And so that's why we're doing this as a whole church. And that's where I hope tonight you'll get started too. Let's pray. Oh, let me end with the verse, the last verse. It's not gonna be on your screen. It's the last verse. Like, I didn't, I didn't know this was a money verse. Oh, it's a money verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Like, that doesn't sound like a money verse. Hold on, let me keep reading. Be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't do this your way. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In the next verse, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Everybody's favorite verse. Trust the Lord with all your heart. You just keep on reading. Keep on reading. Trust God. Trust God in this. Trust God. Trust his plan. All right, let's pray. God, I pray that um, for all of us in here, first that you would deal with the money, um, the, the heart issues. And Father, where we're crippled by greed right now, Release us to generosity. Or show us how to be ambitious in the right ways. Lord, not for our gain, for yours. And Father, um, I pray then also that you would give us the practical courage to take the steps that we need to take tonight. To not just hear, but then to do. Another proverb says, talk, talk, right? Leads to poverty. Diligent work leads to riches. And so, Father, help us to just get at this and work at it, right, exactly as you designed us to do. And, Father, I pray that as a church, as a church, this would become a part of who we are, generous people, generous people, not mastered by money, but having mastered it because you mastered us and we submitted to you. Release that in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.